This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk computing, technology, the internet, uh, all of the fun stuff. Uh, tonight on the show, uh, we do have uh, Cassie. Cassie, how are you tonight? I'm great. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah. Have you had a good week in technology? Uh, you know, it, it hasn't been that bad. Having mm. a few networking issues and stuff at, mm. at work. When, you, when you're actually working with stuff, it kind of takes some of the fun elements out. But I found a few new games that have kept me pretty excited so it's all it's all nice. good that reminds me i was uh looking at a real estate thing and i had it there was an island for sale for like three and a half million and it looked great like really kind of run down in the best possible way but it also had nbn and i was just sitting in a bad kind of connectivity zone just going how can an island get nbn off like the coast of tasmania and we don't have it it's crazy <laughs> simon have you had a better week in technology I am waiting with bated breath for two retro gaming controllers that I have ordered from somewhere across the seas that are slowly wending them way across to me as fast as free postage will take them. Mm. I'm hoping for that, that they'll arrive there. Uh, there's replica SNES controllers. Oh. that should theoretically work with my PC. So I'm I'm yet to work out which games I'm actually going to play with these controllers because I don't think they've got enough buttons to play most modern games. But mm. uh, we'll see. I will see if I can find a port of Bubble Bobble that I can put on my machine and just geek out for a while. I do have a couple of NES controllers, if you want. I've got one that's completely working. But will it, will it attach to your... Maybe no, just, no, no, I think... I, I think that's the thing. These yep. have the look, mm. but the function of a of a modern it's probably just Bluetooth in anyway. inverted. Com- uh, no, they've got wires. Yeah, yeah, totally. Nice. I'll be with you also. I'm Warren Davies. Uh, tonight on the show, uh, if you do like uh, getting out of town via technology and you do like to uh, hitch the caravan and maybe bring a few kids along, um, BuzzConf is probably the place that you should be checking out soon. Um, it's on uh, again in uh, Balan. Um, and Ben and Rick from BuzzConf will be joining us in a moment uh, to talk through the program for, for this year. Uh, if you want a, a, a more obscure look uh, at technology... Um, The Drone Film Festival for Australia and New Zealand, um, I think it's the second uh, film festival. It's coming up in uh, just over a week, I think, at um, uh, Cinema Nova in Carlton. And we'll be speaking to one of the uh, organisers, Elmo, uh, a little bit later in the show too. I'm very curious to see what uh, separates um, amateur film from um, uh, drone filmmaker. Be interested to see what the difference is there. Uh, Yeah, because amateurs with drones have been making amazing stuff yeah uh but it is the the barrier is still high considering that you've still got like uh you know drones are still expensive let's face it there's there's still there's to get one which can do really good quality video is still a fairly fairly substantial outlay Mm. but you know you can do what as always you can do cool stuff with cheap stuff too that, yeah, well, that being said, aerial photography has rapidly gone down in price due to, to drones. So, mm. you know, there's a, there's a little bit of each. My favourite uh, drone moment from the past week was a flamethrowing drone that was used in Mexico to cut down some netting from some um, high-tension power lines. Uh, it was pretty cool to see them lighting it with a Zippo and this drone just kind of like heading off to the kind of... Um, 
um, to the horizon and just torching this net. Um, do they do drone robo wars yet? I was thinking about this the other day because I, I know they do drone racing, but I haven't. I'm wondering if it's just too expensive to set two drones against each other in a you know small coliseum type thing. They do have that medieval LARPing festival or something where one of the guys threw a spear at the drone that was uh, in the air and um, accidentally brought it down. And so then now there's a competition to disguise your drone as dragons because they're going to have a spear throwing. Competition, so I mean, that's that's, that's getting there. That's getting there. This uh, probably does bring us to our, our first news item. Um, we'll, we'll come back to drones a little bit later, but um, yeah, drone wars um, could be under the auspices of a new uh, government agency. Uh, it seems we're actually getting our own space agency. Um, what's going on here, Cass? Well, Australia's really been dragging behind most of the developed world. We're one of the few developed countries that doesn't have their own dedicated space agency. Um, but fingers crossed, uh, that should be changing soon because the federal government's announced that a new national agency will be established to grow Australia's domestic space industry, um, which is, you know, our country, not just the space that's above us, because uh, that would be weird. Um, there's about 11,000 jobs already yeah. in space in Australia. So there's already a lot of space jobs and most of them are in Canberra. Mm. Um, it's sort of considered the, the hub of the space industry in Australia. There's just no government agency that, that's overseeing it. And um, Senator Michaelia Cash came out and said, it's not going to be like another version of NASA. It's going to actually fit our needs and, and what we're doing. Um, it's going to support the innovative application of space technologies and grow our domestic space industry. And there's going to be a little bit about defence um, space in there as well. So ANU and UNSW Canberra, who are two of the big universities over there, they've signed an agreement on Monday. So that will allow for professional design and delivery of space missions. So Canberra is pretty excited about this. They don't want to give it up. They're lobbying for um, anything in the industry uh, to, to be there. Mm -hmm. And so the agency itself is currently um, undergoing dis in discussion stages. There's a working group um, led by uh, ex-CSIRO member just to, to work out exactly what it's going to look like. Um, we don't need to worry that much about it being tied to a one-party thing because uh, the opposition's actually come out and said that they've got plans for our, our own space agency by 2020. So it seems to be on board on both sides. Um, I'm pretty excited to see what will happen. There is now more discussion about whether or not it will be able to reach its potential without funding, because the education department hasn't um, ha doesn't want to talk about any funds going there as of yet. So it'll be great to see, but um, especially if there's more research and development and stuff done in that space, uh, it'll be interesting to see what we can do here on our soil. I do have a, a nomination for uh, the name, uh, Australian Research and Space Exploration. Us. Oh. <laughs> oh, maybe I have to think of another one. Yeah, I mean, it's sticking with the down under theme, right? So, yeah. you know, you've done well. Pretty much. Um, there was also a great tweet of the, um, uh, the rocket ship from Play School as well. Um, yeah, you know. yeah. I, I think that started on Reddit. That was very funny. Um, and, you know, immediately led to thousands upon thousands of people uh, reminiscing about Play School, as well as a lot of confused Americans who just woke up to find it on the front page and going, what on earth is what, this all about? What is this? Uh, uh, 
been confusion elsewhere too. Hasn't there, there? there has been a fair bit of confusion uh, in China by people who are trying to use WhatsApp. Um, so China are cracking down on WhatsApp, uh, the Facebook-owned messaging system. Um, basically, it seems to be... Uh, somewhat related to the fact that there's a big party conference happening in a couple of weeks' time. New York Times is reporting that uh, they're basically disrupting the app. It's just becoming more and more and more difficult to use. Uh, Now, they've done this before. In July, uh, they uh, disrupted uh, the ability to send files and have video chats, but text was still getting through. This seems to be also affecting texts. Um, So, yeah, it it does seem to be part of the wider China ramping up security thing that's going on. Um, You know, uh, they... Uh, there is, I think it's called WeChat. Yeah, uh, is it's owned the, by the national kind of internet company. Yeah, that's that's the sort of government-sponsored, uh, we provide all of your details to the party sort of system, which is... What's it, WeChat? Really WeChat. I think, think it's WeChat, which is really easy to use. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, China has been doing some crazy things in surveillance recently. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the facial recognition is going off in China. You can use uh, facial recognition now for everything from uh, buying fast food. You, uh, there was a 20... Do you have to authorize a, a Big Mac in China or uh, I think it's, official? It's, yeah, it's KFC, but right. uh, uh, you do have to provide a snapshot of your face to an app that will then recognize you when you go in. Oh, okay. Um, but... Uh, there was recently a beer festival. Or a picture of your butt, which says, obviously, you eat at KFC. May I go on? Yes, sorry. Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, there, there was recently a beer festival in uh, in China where they used facial recognition technology to identify 20, I think it was about 20 uh, wanted criminals uh, out of, you know, crowds of thousands upon thousands of people and, mm. yeah, swoop in and ar- arrest them. So, wow. um, and there is, of course, the well-publicised uh, amusement park in China where you have to uh, submit to facial recognition to get the toilet paper to combat toilet paper theft. Mm. So it's everywhere <laughs> and it's becoming more and more ubiquitous in China and uh, I would imagine that there wouldn't be many companies that were uh, exploring this space which weren't then freely opening their books to the government to then say, hey, we've got this data. So, because that's just how business works in China. So I, I think there, yeah, the, the, this guys are watching. One of the other things that has gone bunk is uh, batteries uh, in uh, devices running iOS 11. Um, A report has come out uh, that battery life uh, is substantially shorter on uh, a lot of devices running uh, iOS 11, um, uh, which came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Batteries are draining in more than half the time um, uh, following the upgrade. So uh, as a comparison, on average for an iPhone or iPad running iOS 10, you had around six hours or 240 minutes um, of uh, consistent usage to drain the battery from 100% to zero. Uh, with iOS 11, do you want to have a guess, um, Cassie, as to how quickly, how many minutes you get on iOS 11 on average? I'm really scared to uh, to do this, but... It's always hard, isn't it? Yeah. How, is it is it half of it? It can't, it can't more be. Than, more than half. 
No. 90, I just, 96 minutes. I just... Um, I'm really upset right now because I haven't even upgraded and my phone battery is already dead and my phone's in my bag. So well, I just even want to deal with this. You won't even be able to find your phone on iOS 11. Uh, it'll shrink that much uh, from your existence. Um, yeah, so there's a few suggestions as you can how to do that, uh, as you can how to address it, but I don't think, you know, sort of... Um, switching off kind of background refresh on apps and so forth is going to address that. Um, I actually, th- it seems like it's a, it's a flaw in some of the devices. So um, what you could do, um, which is what I did, is you can buy a case for your phone that mm. you can charge separately with battery and then you can have everyone at work make fun of you for carrying around mm. a brick and then remove the case and keep it in your drawer and just feel sad about your life. Or like you can just carry your, around your phone connected to your laptop all day. Stay, the, stay home and use your phone. Exactly. The um, I did note that CNET uh, found that uh, the refresh uh, did turn off a lot, like reset to default a lot of the settings that people tend to do to mm. sort of stop batteries dying. So mm. uh, once you've upgraded, you'll find that uh, your email has gone back to checking all the yep. time. Um, the And I imagine that that might be the same for a lot of other apps that you do, but you've dutifully gone through and set to be as battery-friendly as possible. Uh, that that maybe that, that might have something to do with it, but it sounds like that's not enough to me. No, not for that kind of change. My my native email on my uh, phone is so slow with the refresh that whenever I close it and put it back in my pocket, about five seconds later, I get that bing and you're like, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. I've held you open for two minutes because I knew you were going to do that. Every time it just waits. It's like a baby. It is like a baby. It just vomits on my shoulder. Uh, if you do like uh, getting out of town and uh, doing a bit of camping, but you do still like to have your screens with you, um, one of the best ways to do all of the things uh, is to get along to Buzz Conference. Uh, coming up, uh, we have Ben and Rick, uh, who've been involved from the start. Um, it's a bit of a tradition, um, apparently, they've been here for um, every BuzzConf. Um, ben and Rick, thanks for coming in. It's great to be back. Yeah, lovely to be here again. Before we do forget, um, for listeners uh, tonight, uh, you do apparently have uh, access to BuzzConf. So, um, do you want to get a sort of get in with the promotion or the sort of the giveaway if you have something? We've, we've got a lot of great things. We've got a we've got a coupon um, that uh, all your listeners can uh, take advantage of. Uh, it's special underscore bites into it. Uh, that gives 20% off all the tickets, which brings them down to $200 for the, the whole weekend conference. That's that's half the price it's been in previous years, um, which is something that we're really really pleased we're able to do this time. Uh, half the price, but it's going to be twice the size. We've got twice as many workshops, presentations, uh, twice as many tracks, and um, and still just 200 bucks for the whole weekend. Uh, we're also giving away a ticket, so if you want to jump onto the website, um, buzzconf.io, uh, you can enter the competition from there. And uh, to people who don't know too much about BuzzConf, uh, how would you describe it? What's your kind of elevator pitch, I guess? The elevator pitch, uh, it, it's changed a lot over the years. Uh, essentially, it, It's like Jaws meets Superman. Meets, kind kind yeah. of is, but but not, no. Um, so we, Rick and I have been running conferences for um, over 10 years now. And one of the things that we found was that the best part of any conference is the hallway trek. So when you get out of the the conference talks itself and get to meet people and hang out and learn things, um, build new networks. So we felt that uh, taking the conference out of the city and moving it into the countryside, having a full weekend where everybody's in one space all together, 
the presenters are encouraged to stay all weekend as well so you can hang around to the campfire at the end of the day and talk about artificial intelligence or 3d printing or whatever it is that they've been talking about and, and you have an interest in and get a really good connection with the the experts in the field yeah, it's like it's like a conference uh, that you might go to to learn about anything tech, but it's just so much more fun and so much more engaging. You come away with real connections, um, and you have your presentations and workshops during the day like any other event. But then at night it turns into a huge party. We have lots of live music and we have campfires, uh, and everyone gets down and and really really makes great connections with the the presenters and the other people that come. And then we do it all again the next night. Uh, and for the first time this year, we're going to do it for a third night as well. <laughs> so from what you're saying, it seems to be a little bit different though from other professional conferences that, that people might be to, especially this year, where you've also got a children and family track. So it's it sort of seems like a, a wonderful festival of, of different ideas where you're actually learning stuff, but how do you integrate sort of the underage aspects into it? So the, the family aspect has actually been there from the beginning. Um, we've, we've introduced VIP tickets on a, a Friday for in-depth uh, workshops, mm -hmm. uh, but the family aspect was something that was really important to us from the outset. One of the things that Rick and I both uh, see every day, especially in IT and within the conference scene, is that there are um, circles within our communities that for whom access to conferences is really hard, um, specifically parents uh, and, and single parents especially. So making it a family-friendly event was very important to make it accessible to as many people as possible. And uh, also we figured that as corny as it might sound, children are the future of technology as well. So bringing them along, getting them really excited. Uh, we all were excited about technology as children. And I guess it kind of brings us back into the childhood state as well as bringing children into the technologies of the future too. It's great. It, it, it reminds us that we, we want to play with the tech. And it's when you play that you really make those connections and you remember stuff and uh, you get excited and you bring that back to your, your workplace. Uh, this year we've got two kids tracks, which is uh, an, an extension from last year. And it means that the, if you do bring kids, they can go off and they can have fun building robots, learning about rockets or, uh, or electronics. Um, and uh, they're, they're looked after for that portion of the day, so you can go and learn about uh, deep learning, machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, virtual reality, whatever your interests are. Um, and then there's lots of points where you can come together as families as well. So you can, you can build on those ideas, you can build yourself a self-driving robot with your family um, and then play with that for the, for the weekend. What are the things that the venue allows you to do that you might not other week like you mentioned firing off rockets you know that's not something you can usually do at a conference center is there is there things that you're excited about that just by simply being in a non-traditional venue you can do that you might not otherwise be able to absolutely i mean we're not at a conference centre and that makes a big difference. When when you're in a conference centre and you're looking at those those four walls, the, the way you think about uh, stuff that you're learning is about how do you apply it in an office setting. Uh, our event is in a field. We have we have big marquees and we have a lot of infrastructure there. It's, a, it's an old caravan site, so there's lots of power around the whole field. But it, it opens up your, your mind to different possibilities. So we do have a lot of things going on that, uh, that take advantage of that space. And incidentally, also, we've, we've been told by people who've been to conferences in the city that uh, despite the fact we're an hour outside of Melbourne, we have the best internet of any conference they've been to. It was really quite a lot of fun last year. Um, the, the night before the conference opened, when we realised we needed to upgrade the internet a little bit, we were bouncing up and down on the back of a tractor, digging a trench so we could lay another NBN cable into the field. 
Um, and that's that's great. I mean, we we had the first year we had 200 megabits up and down uh, for a, for 150 people, and uh, you, yeah, you don't get that sort of connection in in the conference centres in the city, uh, and you need it at BuzzConf because most people most people brought two or three um, internet connected devices, and uh, this year we're expecting maybe 500 people. So you need really really good internet to look after 500 people and their three or four devices, their Minecraft servers. Um, their their tablets and their phones and everything else they're going to bring, um, and all of the other IoT devices that we connect. We we had about a hundred sensors connected last year that people could play with, so uh, people could map out uh, where which areas of the field were where the biggest parties were happening, where where the where the hotspots were quite literally. So uh, all of that takes a, a great infrastructure that we're really lucky to be able to support. And we have we have a, a partner, Ocean Labs, that have been with us from the beginning that set all of this up for us. They're they're really great to work with. Do you have, uh, I guess, different demands in terms of the, the tracks or the speakers that you um, that people want to have at BuzzConf compared to a, a city conference? Do you see similar themes? I, you mentioned that you go to a lot of conferences yourself. So I, I guess the themes don't change. What we're interested in doesn't change. Uh, we, we bring access to that kind of information in a different way. We, we present that in a different way and we provide it in a different atmosphere that allows people to learn uh, more in depth. Uh, that they're able to um, connect more, I suppose, with people around them, uh, discuss that over a longer period. So that the learning outcome is, uh, I would say, a lot deeper. Yeah, you, um, you find a lot of conferences that people disappear to their hotel room when the, the presentations are finished. And, and here there is no hotel room. You might go back to your tent, but your tent is likely pitched next to, uh, next to the person that's flown overseas to talk about artificial intelligence. And, and, and you don't want to go to sleep in your tent at that point. You want to keep talking with them. You want to build on your ideas. And, and we found that people were working on robotics uh, on day one of the festival. Um, and by day two, they'd met people that work in, in machine learning or people that work in 3D printing. And that little robot they built in their workshop is now has now got a 3d printed chassis and can drive itself um, just based on the conversations and the connections that people have at buzzconf there was something on your website though speaking of tents that uh got me a little bit excited now i i do kind of like being outdoors but um you know it's 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 not the first thing on my list and pitching my own tent isn't something that i'm super into so for anyone who's listening and is like oh great this sounds amazing but I really don't want to camp. You do have some other options uh, under your belts. We, we do have a couple of other options. Um, if you're okay with the idea of camping, but you just don't want to set up your own tent, uh, I suspect you're probably referring to the glamping option yeah. that we have. Uh, so we're working with a, a fantastic organization, uh, Under Sky, who will come along, set up the tent for you. It's got a bed set up. The doona's already on there. There's a welcome mat and a light, and, and you'll feel at home straight away. These these tents are amazing. They've got carpets. There's bedside cabinets and lights, uh, and it's not just your your camping mattress. This is a, a a three foot high mattress. It's really really comfortable, and in many ways, that's better than your five star hotels. I think. And we also set them all up in one area, so it almost feels like uh, not so much exclusive, but it's the the special zone. The people who came along and had it all set up for them already. So it's a bit, uh, bit of pampering. You can do your discussions with people who also can't set up a tent, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, um, we, we've got a other accommodation as well. So so there's um, beds on site to sleep about 80 people. So we do have rooms as well. But uh, we find we have a lot more fun when, when we camp. Um, not everyone does, and that's okay too. We're, we're an inclusive environment. <laughs> You've got a field, tents. It's filled with tech, net everywhere. How does it go when it rains? 
So we had a bit of rain last year, but uh, people were very, very quick to scramble and set up the umbrellas. Um, we're, we're generally okay because we make sure that everything's set up in, in such a way that we can cope with that. Uh, we, we actually, last year, we, um, we live-streamed a, mugis, um, um, a musician from Bucharest. Uh, and he was he was DJing uh, out of out of uh, Europe, and and we were able to to see him at the on the main stage at the festival. Um, what we needed for that setup was a really really low latency network connection, so we needed it under under ten. Um, and what we didn't really think about uh, initially was that dew that that forms on those wires is going to slow down the latency. Um, but again, our, our great network partners uh, were able to, to keep an eye on that sort of thing for us. So, so even when it comes to, to real-time streaming from the other side of the world, we've, we've got the network that supports it. Uh, I, I think also to add, uh, when you think of a normal festival, you think of uh, stages under tents and people in the rain. We actually set up marquees as conference rooms. So there's seating, it's set up properly, it's all uh, watertight for the, the workshops and the talks. So when you're actually in the talks and the workshops themselves, you're completely protected from the weather. It's just when you're outdoors walking around between them that you might get caught by, caught by drizzle. Well, it looks amazing. Um, I, I, uh, it's, do you still have tickets available? Can you still jump on? We do still have tickets available. Buzzconf.io is the domain. And what was the uh, coupon code again? Coupon is special underscore bite into it. Fantastic. Uh, well, thanks for coming in, guys. Uh, looking forward to um, seeing photos and um, reading some of the content. Do you put uh, videos of the talks up at all? Or Yeah, we, we have plenty of videos. Um, we're, we've got uh, some, some exciting videos happening this year. Um, we're actually uh, having a documentary made about uh, BuzzConf, and that's going to be put together over the weekend with um, a, a same-day edit. So we'll be showing that at the after party on the Sunday. And if people are interested in finding out more, we actually have uh, regular nights events as well. So if they want to pop along, tomorrow night is our next one. It's held at the Loop Bar in Melbourne. And we're going to have some people giving a, a bit of an intro to the talks that they're going to be giving at the festival. Yeah, we, we call those BuzzConf nights. And you can find us on YouTube under the channel BuzzConf. And uh, we've, we've done about 35 of these. So there's quite an extensive back catalogue of the sort of people that you're likely to find at a BuzzConf festival. Sounds awesome. We do have a very special guest coming up. Um, you've probably noticed um, if you've been down at the park walking the dog or at the beach, um, little black things buzzing around. Uh, drones are in a lot of places. I think I did find out that um, CASA had found there'd been 145 collisions uh, or near collisions with drones um, over the past year. But um, people who aren't doing that are related to our next guest. Um, uh, Elmerdin Kumalic, or Elmo, is um, involved in the Drone Film Festival for Australia and New Zealand, and Elmo joins us on the phone now from Sydney. Um, Elmo, how are you tonight? Hi, good, thanks. How are you? Really well. Um, how did you get into drones? Are you uh, a filmmaker yourself? Um, I guess ultimately it was just maybe two, three years ago that we were um, experiencing the, the drone craze that had uh, come out to the consumer market. Uh, during that time, my colleague Gary and myself have always been fascinated with uh, technology and the advancements of drones and, and what was to come uh, within the film industry for that. So uh, we, uh, at the same time, maybe early 2015, uh, there was the launch of the New York City Drone Film Festival, which pretty much kicked off the whole um, the whole trail for it. So uh, within the last two years, well over 25 have branched off across the road, purely dedicated towards uh, drone films. And 
myself and my colleague, we thought it was a great opportunity to um, also include Australia and New Zealand in there in, um, in being able to um, showcase these films. So it is, it is only the second year of the um, Australian-New Zealand version, but it is uh, actually screening in 11 major cities. Um, so Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, Perth, Hobart, Adelaide, there's quite a list um, and it's yeah. on for, for sort of a couple of months. Um, are, are you pretty much just sort of on the road for the next couple of months um, with the festival? Uh, yes. I mean, we've, we've got a, a great small team of four who are involved in a number of different cities. Uh, it was just last Sunday that we kicked off uh, the uh, Darwin uh, program and that was in collaboration with the Darwin International Film Festival. So uh, that was a, a great kickoff, a great launch. Uh, obviously, the cinema there, the deck chair cinema, is an outdoor space, and it was just a, an amazing uh, backdrop to uh, be able to have that privi- privilege to showcase there. And you've got uh, around forty films from uh, from twenty five countries. What are some of the? Um, we're having a bit of a chat earlier about um, the difference between just good amateur drone um, uh, film and and filmmakers. What are some of the different things that you might not have seen um, for the average kind of um, hobbyist or, or YouTube viewer? What what things are you showing to us? Um, look, I guess it kind of breaks down into a number of different categories. Um, so, for example, you've got the professional drone pilots and filmmakers, uh, and then anything from small to large-scale production companies, and then also the everyday you know, drone enthusiasts uh, and hobby people who are also uh, creating their own short films and so forth. Um, there is a lot of elements that have, you know, over the last two, three years really grown um, into a high caliber i guess you could say of films and that's obviously mainly due to the advancements that um what these drones are now able to do and in terms of avoiding you know obstacles uh, that they might come in the way um the steadiness the 4k hd footage um quality as well and then obviously it does also come down to to how uh, that specific person or filmmaker um ultimately edits it and you know adds the music and voiceover to it so i guess it's it is pretty much almost like a, a mini Hollywood production. Mm. All those helicopter pilots kind of just standing up at the bar, just kind of scratching their chins now. Is it mainly uh, just pretty footage or are people making narrative films with, with drones? Um, look, I, I, I guess I could say over the last two, three years, it was very heavily um, focused on landscape films. Um, and now we are seeing a lot of uh, actual films that are coming in from, you know, unique locations or flying over, um, you know, erupting volcanoes. Um, people are also experimenting with a number of different elements, including those who are involved in drone racing. Um, you know, for example, uh, there was a film submitted where a gentleman... Uh, uh, with a, a number of colleagues of his do a drone race through an IGA supermarket store um, and then you've got everything in between from storytelling, documentaries and even music videos so um, the calibre there has really grown into a vast um, genre or vast area of things I guess So, and you mentioned submissions, so you've, you're accepting submissions, is that correct? Even though the film festivals you know, started, for instead, how does that work? Uh, no, no. So uh, we're not currently uh, accepting submissions. So submissions have closed for the 2017 program. And so uh, within the last month, it was just basically uh, going through the actual films that were submitted, which was just over 209, 210 films. And from that, we narrowed it down to uh, the top 40 best ones. So, um, yeah. 
So, Elmo, you spoke about the wide range of, of different things that is being done with drone films now when it, you know, it's not just these magnificent landscapes, although that is still a part of it. When you've got so many different uh, concepts coming in, how do you then judge which one is the best? Um, I guess that, again, comes down to um, the actual film itself. Uh, you know, the jury panel obviously had a very challenging uh, process going through all these films, and um, for them it was to kind of break it down into something that really provides the X factor. Um, so that included a variety of things from as I guess previously mentioned, uh, the actual quality of the footage, the editing process and everything else in between to kind of package that into into something that's a little more um, not seen before, I guess. And if someone out there um, is, is really interested in not only attending the festival but perhaps working up for a film to enter next year, uh, mm. what's your advice for, for budding either filmmakers or drone enthusiasts who want to pair the two together? Where would you suggest mm. that they start? Um, look, I think at the moment there is a variety range of drones that are out, available out there. Um, you know, anything that might range from $50 up to $5,000. Uh, for those, I guess, beginners, um, it would be good to kind of commence on, you know, one of those uh, more affordable drones just to, to get a feel on, on certain elements and aspects um, of the learning process. Um, I guess the next step would be for anyone looking to turn this into a career. Um, there's a great, uh, there's a number of great actual um, institutions, one being UV, uh, UAV Air, and uh, they do a lot of great uh, training programs and so forth. Uh, the other aspect is also to definitely check out the uh, Civil Avi Aviation Safety Authority, uh, the CASA board, and on there there's a lot of different details uh, on you know rules and regulations on where you can fly, where you shouldn't fly, um, and obviously that varies between state to state and country to country. In terms of, um, I'm really interested in, in some of the shots and I, I, I watched this kind of um, Wes Anderson thing on how obsessed he got with a particular shot or the way things tracked. Do, do drone filmmakers put a lot of um, time into not just kind of the, the big gesture um, that I guess Simon was hinting at, but do, do you get lots of weird shots or unique shots? I, I think there's something on the on the website um, where it's like a dancer with um, a neon kind of costume on as well, which looked kind uh -huh. of interesting. Um, look, there is uh, a variety of um, unique films that we've received from last year and also from this year. Um, you know, people are getting extremely creative. Um, I think one one of my favourites and one of everyone's favourites, and this one seems to be doing well uh, on the drone festival program at the moment around the world, and that's pretty much a short film called Mixed Motion Project. Um, and it's basically a stuntman and a free runner by the name of Ilko, who basically is racing across rooftops and jumping up obstacles, uh, scaling monuments all across uh, the Bulgarian landscape. And that's pretty much all shot from above using a drone. And he's also incorporated some animation elements behind it, uh, special effects. And um, it's really opened it up into a, a really unique feature that we pretty much haven't seen before. Nice, nice. I, I kind of, um, it looks like the sort of festival that you'd like to see um, outdoors. I'd love to be sitting outdoors. Was it in, in Darwin? Did you have it um, outside or? It is, yeah. So Darwin uh, has 
one of the most unique cinemas within Australia, pretty much. Uh, just by the ocean, there is an outdoor uh, cinema with actual deck chairs for a capacity of approximately 400 people um, under the stars during, obviously, Darwin's constant beautiful weather. Um, it just makes it a, a really impressive um, cinema that, unfortunately, we don't seem to have anywhere else across Australia. There used to be um, a great one down at the convent here. Or oh, they do it, um, Shadow Electric. Um, it's summer. Melbourne Uni. It's a summer yeah. thing. Yeah. It's Melbourne, uh, mate. Right. It's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> really cold. Of course, of course. I do know that there's a couple of uh, rooftop cinemas that have popped up um, in Melbourne, but they also might be a program that only runs during the summer period as well. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, it rains even in summer here, so, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to just take what you can get. If people do... If people do want to um, uh, pitch a film or submit, um, what, what, what kind of films are you particularly interested in? What, what would you like to see more um, of? To be honest, we, we are open to see everything and anything. Um, our 2018 submissions open in February next year. Um, and I guess, you know, we're looking for anything that has that, you know, X factor of um, anything unique, whether it's from cinematography, uh, a concept of a film, anything that incorporates special effects, um, unique direction, obviously the landscape. Um, we're also seeing quite a few films where people have combined and created uh, actual showreels and that incorporates a variety of different shots from a number of their different films, whether it's short films that they've personally made or whether it's uh, corporate films that they may have done for real estate uh, or for TV channels, uh, documentary shows and so forth. So. Um, there's an extreme amount of that. We're seeing also a lot of sporting uh, elements. Uh, I believe the one that you mentioned was uh, from a gentleman in France who basically uh, had his skis illuminated and had a drone follow him as he goes through the um, through the mountains there. And you know, just that contrast of that neo lights uh, in the snow in the dark. Um, it was you know one of the one of the best films I believe last year, and it won the best drone film. So you're actually touching down in Melbourne quite soon at the Cinema Nova uh, on yes. the on Thursday the 5th of October, which is next week, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, yes. can, can people still grab tickets? Uh, yes, tickets are still available uh, via our website, um, which is just uh, our initials of Drone Film Festival Australia New Zealand of dffanz.com. Fantastic. Uh, we will. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get down to that. I actually. I, I like a bit of um, pretty footage. And if there's um, some like parkour as well, that that'd be great. There is. <laughs> there is. There's at least two of those for you there. Amazing. Well, thank you, Olmo. Uh, I hope it's a great festival, and I hope um, the next couple of months are, are really good for you. Brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. Um, we do have a couple of opportunities um, to run past you. Uh, if you do like to make stuff. Um, I am interested in making stuff, but I'm always a little bit intimidated by the sort of Raspberry Pi kind of MakerBot sessions. Um, this one seems kind of tailored to me. At the library at the dock on Friday afternoons, there's a Maker Hangout session. Um, they're dedicated to 3D printers and exploring uh, MakerBots and or Raspberry Pi. Um, the big thing here is no experience in, uh, required. So if you want to get down there and have a crack, um, just bring along your Raspberry Pi kit. Um, and they'll get you started. Um, we don't even need to breed one. Um, they've got uh, all the stuff down there. 
So, um, yeah, up, upload your design and uh, and it'll get made and off you go. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, I think that is uh, free of charge. Um, it's down at the Makerspace at Library at the Dock at 107 Victoria Harbour um, uh, in Docklands um, this Friday afternoon. Another one that um, is also good, um, if you've been listening to Bite Into It um, over the past um, year or more, um, you would have heard us talking to the team at RoboGirls. Um, Hampton Park has got its first RoboGirls event uh, on this Friday. Uh, It's for girls between 10 and 12. Um, get down to the Hampton Park Library, going to learn the basics of uh, a lot of the STEM technology um, uh, concepts behind RoboGirls. And uh, it's a great kind of uh, way to spend uh, your teen, teen years, I think, hanging out making robots. Um, or microwaves, uh, depending on what you like, Simon. Yeah, uh, Quartz is reporting that after 70 years, we've discovered a better microwave. That doesn't explode your cheese in, like, terrible fashion? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe it just explodes your cheese <laughs> more efficiently. Oh, into the bowl would be good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they've, in a 2015 uh, paper, researchers published details of how they've used a solid-state semiconductor paired with signal amplifiers, amplifiers and receivers um to make uh, a, a feedback loop that allows the semiconductor to adjust and produce the right amount of microwaves at the right power level and for the correct line, correct time to heat food evenly, which is obviously the big problem with the microwave is the unevenness of it. Um, now, this could uh, this could really improve things for microwaves, especially for commercial applications. Apparently the US military, of course, are using semiconductor microwaves to heat already. up their pizza pockets. <laughs> I don't know. You've got to have it know. warm all the way through. It's, it's crucial. Yeah. So um, Look at Kim Jong-un. There's yeah. a UK-based company uh, which is going to produce a camping microwave which will be battery operated. Oh, it's not the same as like the old kind of little briquettes or the little kind of white um, coals that you have to kind of light up. No, I can't. I can't come at the idea of a camping microwave personally. But you know, some people maybe it's something that you might want to take to BuzzConf one year yeah. if, you're, if you're just feeling like you're glamping and it's not going to have a microwave and you're ready to go. So I don't know. It is there, and we are improving it, which is the main thing. That's the important thing. Um, it's been a fun show tonight. Uh, thank you to our guests, uh, Ben and Rick from BuzzConf and Elmo from the Drone Film Festival. Uh, thanks to you guys. It's always fun to come in and talk technology with Cassie and Simon. Oh, it's the pleasure's thank all mine. You. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.